Welcome to Not Artificially Sweetened, a weekly podcast where we reflect on all things diabetes. Your hosts are specialist physician Stan Landau and diabetes specialist nurse Michael Brown. We are passionate about using our talents to change lives for the better. Our mission is to build bridges of insight and understanding between people with diabetes and the health professionals that facilitate their care. Nothing is off the table here as we discuss real people, their real issues and stories, and together discover real answers to many vexing practical issues in diabetes and its management. is brought to you in support of diabetes awareness and advocacy by Winford Holiday Farm, an idyllic family-owned and run destination near Freesburg in the beautiful Eastern Free State. Winford is a special place of peace, offering great farm food, beautiful scenery, cozy accommodation and warm hospitality. Take some time out to soak in the beautiful mountain air, hike or horse ride into the sandstone mountains, enjoy a leisurely game of tennis or bowls, or just sit under a pear tree with a good book. Winford has something for everyone of any age. Winford scores 9.2 out of 10 on Booking.com and 5 out of 5 on TripAdvisor. So book your full board or room only stay now. From 10 to 24 July 2023, kids under 12 stay free, so don't miss out. Check out their accommodation, activities, and rates and specials at www. It's time for another episode of Not Artificially Sweetened. I'm Michael Brown. And I'm Dr. Stan Landau. Thanks for joining us for this free diabetes education and advocacy initiative. Whether you're listening to us as you work out, on your daily commute, while gardening or cooking, We appreciate you investing your time with us here. We can only spread this free education and advocacy initiative with your help. If you find value in these podcasts, we would really appreciate you sharing it with your family, friends, and colleagues anywhere in the world. Of course, to help us meet your specific needs, please let us have your comments, feedback, and questions via our email, which is podcast at cdediabetes.co.za. You can catch us on our preferred podcast provider, which is Spotify, but we have recently joined Apple Podcasts, so you can access us on more places. Currently, we're in 18 countries, and we appreciate all of your listenership. Stan, you've been away the last week. You've been attending a conference on medical education in Cardiff in the UK. And of course, beyond knowing about diabetes, we also in the academy need to know a lot about the approach to getting that information across to health professionals and to people with diabetes. So Stan, give us a bit of insight into what you learned. Well, in essence, Michael, I've just come back from school and you know, for the first time in a long time, I feel fired up because it's the meeting I haven't been able to attend during Congress in the live face-to-face setting. So that was an absolute treat, meeting people that I had only communicated with online. Wonderful. But more importantly, being able to learn together with a bunch of people and much of the modern day learning, whether it be in the higher education space or whether it be in the continued medical education, that's for people who are in day-to-day clinical practice like you and I and our studio guest today, it remains imperative that long learning prevails. 
So this Congress entitled Learning Together for Clinical Excellence was put together by the Academy of Medical Educators in the UK, bringing together predominantly UK-based, but I think there were upwards of 22 nationalities that were represented. There were two of us from South Africa. And in fact, the fellow who's a radiographer from the University of Free State took away one of the best poster awards for some of the novel training and teaching methods they were using there with very limited resources in the public setting. So it was absolutely a proud moment for Mr. Boerter who walked away with that prize. What's interesting about this meeting is I've come back fired up uh, and have put together a very nice program for the annual CDE medical education component for our annual forum in diabetes medicine, which will be held in October. I think we're going to shake things up a little bit in the way that we change education. Because I think that day is long gone. You think of the Charles Dickens type of Victorian classroom where the teacher stands up and expounds or transmits knowledge. That's not the way we learn these days. We learn together. And in fact, we learn better when we're together. And that's why, in fact, Michael, if you recall the early days when we were mulling over this podcast, we thought, what better way than to share learnings than in a socially active space. Right. And it's the 25th year of this forum. So I think it's an appropriate point, an inflection point for us to change direction and to be right up to date with the latest in the approaches to medical education internationally. While that may be a topic that you and I could discuss at hours on how we educate healthcare workers, at the end of the day, the fundamental aspect that pervades all through medical education is making healthcare safer and better for people with chronic medical conditions or an acute medical condition, in this case, in our setting, for people with diabetes. So whatever it is we land up learning at our October forum or through these podcasts, healthcare providers being able to improve outcomes is ultimately where the value lands up. Right, Michael, one last point that I want to bring up in respect to this conference it's opened my eyes that the healthcare team, particularly in respect to the diabetes managements that we discuss, is a lot bigger than we think it is. And I've now learned this emerging concept of so-called One Health, that there is this profound interaction between man, the environment, and our animals. And if we're going to be training healthcare workers for the future, we need to have people who are mindful of these three large aspects. And the manner in which the COVID pandemic highlighted this is just worthy of a short note here. Mm -hmm. We had this pandemic that came from nowhere, presumably from an animal-based source interacting with humans, resulting in profound harm and death for many millions of people around the world, but importantly, seeing how quickly collaboration between divergent healthcare practitioners were, those who chase viruses, those who treat patients at the coalface, those involved in public health, those involved in hygiene, veterinary medicine, all comes together in very quick. And because we're seeing a lot of these new emerging kind of epidemics and probably going to see them for years ahead, making the health force more nimble and well understanding of each other's roles at short notice can serve certainly improve health outcomes. Sounds exciting. And I note on the program that's developing that you have included a veterinary scientist within that team. So I'm looking forward to that. I am too. So we welcome as our studio guest this week, Sister Bielwa Majikela Langamandla. She has an MSc in nursing and she's a clinical educator at the University of Cape Town at the Division of Diabetic Medicine and endocrinology. And we welcome you, Bielwa. I've known you personally for decades, and we've shared some times overseas when we've been there for training. I remember us running around Rome at one stage looking for the cheapest but best Italian restaurant far away from the tourist haunts, and we found something quite magical. And so I have fond memories of that. And I've always known you as someone who has immense passion for health, for diabetes care, and for the health of communities. So welcome to our show. And again, our usual question, how did you get into diabetes? Wow. Okay. That happened in 1995. I was working at Hotskier Hospital as a community liaison sister, where I would help with the discharge planning of patients from the hospital. 
Of course, prior that, I uh, worked in various clinical areas at Frontscare, which is the tertiary hospital. So I was sharing an office with the diabetes educators, and uh, one of them was leaving. And then it was Professor Bonici, the head of department, and he had a vision that we need to have a diabetes educator that can speak other African languages as well. And the post was there, and I was there. It just came to me. So I applied for it, and I got it. And uh, so I worked as a diabetes educator since then. And then year 2000, there were some changes made at Hrotsky Hospital where they wanted us to go back and work nitrity and in the wards. And then I, I wasn't happy about that because I felt that, you know, I found what is valuable, you know, helping people with diabetes. So I resigned. And fortunately, UCT had a post for a, a diabetes educator there. And it just happened that I joined the university as a diabetes educator, then studied, did my master's, then worked there as a clinical educator. And now I'm working as a diabetes clinical um, coordinator at Frotskia Hospital again. <laughs> yeah. Before we explore that, I think you've brought up an immensely important point there, Biola, that of a proper career path for a specialist nurse, which seems to be eschewed in many instances by the public sector. They don't necessarily allow people to specialize along a proper career path and that you believe so strongly in that that you actually resigned and then continued to find that. Just maybe speak to us about the need for specialist nurses within the health sector. Mm -hmm. Wow, that is crucial. That's very, very important of specialist nurses in the public sector. Cause even said so, but we need people who have the passion in whatever field, whatever that specialty is. Mm. If someone is doing it for money or for whatever reasons, that's not worth. If one has to have passion in that. So well, diabetes, fortunately, I mean, I had passion for that. Uh, at the beginning, I'll be honest with you, I was worried about knowledge and I said, I don't know anything about diabetes. How am I going to help the patients? And Professor Bonici then said, Guillermo, you will learn in the process the important thing is your attitude. That is the important thing. And that helped me boost my ego and say, I'm going to learn. And to be honest, I learned a lot from the patients, not from the books. Yes, we learn clinical aspects and other things from the books, but I learned a lot from people living with diabetes. That is the way, and listening to them and learning and just loving it mm -hmm. and loving what you're doing. Of course, it's said that to specialize is important. Unfortunately, our administrators, especially in the public sector, there are always many reasons of not getting people to specialize, such as lack of resources, there's lack of staff. Those are all the excuses that come up front. And as a result, those specialist areas, they're lacking. And there's a great need for them. Michael, you and our guest have quite a lot in common because she makes mention that in the mid to early 1990s, there was this notion of diabetes education emerging. And that's no coincidence because we've spoken historically about some of the large diabetes studies, particularly those out of the US that were published in 1996, 97, which first brought this idea of the specialist diabetes education nurse to the fore. And it's great to see that our late boss, Larry Distiller, installed that value here in Johannesburg. We all know Professor Benici very well, who equally did the, the similar uh, component in that, recognizing that there needs to be somebody beyond the doctor on the team. Because mm -hmm. up until then, diabetes management, as I understood it, was you went to see the doctor and all the care, more or less, was provided by doctor does, doctor says. Right. 
And I think what we're seeing also, similar to what we've seen in the public sector where there's no defined career pathing, we're seeing in the private sector now, driven by medical funders, driven by large healthcare groups, this idea that you can qualify as a diabetes educator within about 12 hours. Tell us what you think about that, Bielwa. <laughs> Oh my goodness, how can one specialize within 12 hours? Yes, you can understand the basics. Yes, somebody maybe is a nurse already, they have the background knowledge. But diabetes education, for instance, I'll stick to that one. It goes way beyond that. Look at what has been shared now this morning about One Health. You know, we need to learn every day and one can never specialize within 12 hours. You get that one needs experience. Some of the things you learn on the journey mm -hmm. as in the field, as you are working, you realize some of the things that, oh, wow. Yeah, you can discover a lot of things through your work. And that don't come from the book. And I like what Dr. Stan said about teamwork, where we are all equal in the diabetes team. We are all important in helping our patients and empowering our patients in managing diabetes. I can't help but think that when I was going through my early training as an undergraduate, the only kind of speciality nursing that I was familiar with was the psychiatric nursing component and midwifery. And in fact, Michael, even till today, you have the sense that the midwife is the most highly praised component of that speciality. And thankfully, that learning has led to safer birth practices for both infant and maternal outcomes. For sure. But in this emerging day of chronic diseases, you need to have this specialist who really is aware. Yeah. So, but yeah, well, tell me now from the early 90s until today, how has diabetes education changed, if it has at all, in terms of the nursing component? Oh, my goodness. That's heartbreaking. Excellent question. And let me just give you one example in the public sector when it comes to diabetes education. There are good parts as well. There are also bad areas where we need improvement. The good part is that, of course, I will talk in the public sector. We had a few diabetes educators very few. I know Baragwana had diabetes educators. I don't know if they still have. In the Western Cape, in the public sector, I'm aware that Tigerbeck used to have. They don't have any more. What's scare, I'm the only one. And those in the Eastern Cape, in the public sector, I'm not aware of any diabetes educator at the moment. So it's not really recognized as a speciality in the public sector. Yes, they know they're taking it seriously, but they're not allocating a specialist nurses in the diabetes field in the public sector. Now, what has changed in the public sector? Of course, we're still using the old insulin, but we do have a few of the new insulins now on market. Those new ones are only in special hospitals like Trotsky and Red Cross. You won't find them anywhere else. The other thing that has changed positively is that even in the community health care center, all patients that are on insulin, even if they have type 2 diabetes, they get free blood glucose monitoring machines and the scripts. And I think that is a huge change. And of course, they do get their medication, their insulin. There are programs that are being run in the community. For instance, there is one that is offered by Stellenbosch University. They created this project. It's called the GREAT Project, Group Empowerment for Diabetes Training and Education. So where they're training nurses or healthcare professionals to run group sessions with their patients in the community. Again, because of lack of space, there is no one diabetes educator to educate the patients in healthcare centers. So it's better to see them in groups. 
is better than nothing, but that one, uh, Department of Health of the Western Cape, they're rolling that one out. And I'm aware, uh, we're all aware about the research in Pretoria University on the initiation of insulin. Mm-hmm. I think that is also something that is good that's happening in the public sector. Well, there are nodes of excellence, but we've still got a long way to go. Yes, there's a long way to go. Like, for instance, here at Krosnia, we've got a, a new center, an example of what can be done in a diabetes center where patients don't have to wait long. We have all the multidisciplinary team. We have, for instance, diabetes educator, of course, our endocrinologist and our dietitian, uh, just one floor down. We have phlebotomist on site and we have our own porter in the center. Then we have also the podiatrist, of which is the only one that I'm aware of in the Western Cape, in the public that has a podiatrist on site. So the patients are seen now. If they need to see a podiatrist, for instance, they see the podiatrist. It's like a one-stop shop where we try to have everything. Of course, it would be ideal if there could be one similar thing in the community because Prosky is tertiary hospital, but it is working well. It's just one example of it can happen also in the public sector. I want to bring up an example from the One Health concept in that sense. You spoke a lot about the availabilities of modern day insulin, and I want to come specifically to the roles of nurses in understanding some of the social determinants of health. So this case in the One Health scenario was a fellow, a gentleman who had presented late after experiencing chest pain, and it turned out he was having a heart attack, a myocardial infarction, and his outcome was quite poor. And they quizzed him as to why it took him so long to get to the hospital and couldn't really get to the sense of it. And eventually someone sat down with him and understood it that point in time that there had been this whole chain of events. His wife had had a total hip replacement and was sitting in a rehabilitation or step-down facility. And he was exceptionally anxious about his dog that was left at home alone. And he didn't want to rush to the hospital because there was nobody around that was going to look after the dog. So he has this interconnection that the dog was at the house all alone. He didn't want to leave the dog. His wife was already unwell. And for his own health had compromised for the sake of the pet welfare. Just showing you how interconnected these issues are. So what's that got to do with diabetes? Well, very often it's the nurse who's spending time with the person with diabetes who gets into that head and says, hang on, your diabetes management isn't so great. And I think there may be something going on at home. Mm. Perhaps you're about to lose your job. Mm. Perhaps you can't afford the kind of foods that are always appropriate in the setting of diabetes. So given your extensive knowledge of diabetes and your work within the community, tell us a little about how you kind of get into the head of what's going on in the home and in the bigger environment of the person with diabetes. It's amazing that you ask such a brilliant question. Then let me make one example similar to what you've just made. The patient is admitted in the ward, maybe with DKA. They send the patient for education. I can give you one or two examples. This one has type 2 diabetes. Even before I open the folder, I just ask them, why are you in hospital this time? Just to get some background. Then I ask, how long do you have diabetes? And this patient says, I had diabetes for 10 years now, and I know exactly what to do. What happened is that the breadwinner, this was a woman, her husband, who was the breadwinner, got this job, was doing so well, and was just madder. One morning, she was called to come to the workshop. Her husband is shot there. And obviously, the stress she was going through. And she said, I know exactly how to look after my diabetes. And then I looked in the folder. Okay, I saw the HbA1c was 6.5%. What does that tell you? So a lot of social ills. 
people going through a lot in many, many cases. We tend, unfortunately, to judge them and look at the numbers. Mm. Numbers may not mean a lot as finding out from them what is happening so that you can get to the bottom of why blood sugar is high. It goes beyond the numbers. Getting to know the person, asking some questions and finding out what's going on. And then you can connect these to diabetes. A chronic condition does not define a person, and that's one of the reasons why the language matters movement shies away from the word diabetic as a labeling term, yes. because we always recognize that chronic condition is born first and foremost by a person yes. who has a life, who has relationships, who has stressors, who has identities that define them beyond the chronic condition. Yes. And so I think you brought that up very powerfully I want to know if any of our listeners have experienced that, where you've gone into a session with anybody within the diabetes team and the focus has exclusively been on the numbers, so to speak, or if you're a person with diabetes and haven't specifically told the full story and have let just the numbers dominate the conversation, knowing that there's a lot going on in your world, perhaps with your family, your partner, your work, your economic situations, or the other. And very often it's nice if we can be honest with each other in these conversations to help understand what's driving the behaviors mm -hmm. that ultimately may result less good diabetes management. I think that's critical. And uh, listeners, happy to share your stories with us. We thank those of you who've done so already for some of those interesting experiences you've had. Yoa, I know that you've had a long history of advocacy for diabetes, working very extensively in the Eastern Cape. Before we get into that, I'd like to introduce our next advocacy message. If you've been listening to the series of Not Artificially Sweetened for the first 20 episodes, Bridget McNulty has driven a powerful set of 20 messages from Sweet Life Diabetes community. Very graciously, she has advocated that the torch be handed on. And she's handed it on to Kirsten de Klerk, who we have interviewed on the show previously. And so let's listen to Kirsten, who represents SA Diabetes Advocacy. And she just gives us an introduction to that organization. Let's have a listen. SA Diabetes Advocacy is the united voice for people with diabetes in South Africa. Our goal is to advocate for people living with diabetes. We want to ensure that there is always a seat at the table for those with lived experience of diabetes. We are an inclusive, representative organization that affects change for diabetes in South Africa. If you would like to find out more about what we do, who our member organizations are, and more about our diabetes advocacy course, please visit www.diabetesadvocacy.org.za. Thank you very much to Kirsten. We really appreciate your time and your effort, and we look forward to future insertions from SA Diabetes Advocacy. Bioa, tell us a little bit about your diabetes advocacy efforts. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Way back when we worked in collaboration with Diabetes South Africa and helping them with training and training community healthcare workers and also with the University of the Western Cape, they also had projects that they were doing at Kaya with the community healthcare workers where we trained them on diabetes because they were the people who knew the people with diabetes who would visit them at their homes. So they knew exactly what they're going through. So we trained 
prayed a lot of those ones. And then we also worked in a project with Diabetes South Africa called Agents for Change. That was sponsored by WDF, World Diabetes Federation. In that one, we were training all healthcare professionals, even community healthcare workers, health promoters, traditional healers. So I was doing that project with Noi Pullen, who was also a diabetes advocate. She was working with Diabetes South Africa. She herself had a son who had type 1 diabetes, so she had passion when it comes to diabetes and training nurses and everyone who's looking, who's helping people living with diabetes. So we trained thousands of nurses, traditional healers, doctors, everyone would be welcome to attend AIDS for Change in all provinces. The only province we didn't do was Free State. So people would come for two days where we would focus on diabetes and talking about behavior change. And people in training, they themselves decided to change some things about themselves. So it begins with me. And so they would make up some goals. What are they planning to change and for themselves and in their healthcare centers? And then we would meet them again after three to six months and get their experiences and the challenges they had in making those changes. And so that helped them understand that people living with diabetes have challenges. And then that session would call it empowering the patients. So we would teach them, we would train them on communication skills, which is very, very important. Those who are based in motivational interviewing. Motivational interviewing is a counseling method that involves enhancing patients' motivation to change by means of mainly four guiding principles. So maybe we can just use the acronym RULE. The R stands resist the writing reflex. We as healthcare professionals, especially nurses, we are trained to make things right. We want to help the patients. We would say, no, don't do that. Please do that. But that doesn't really work. U stands for understand the patient's own motivations. As healthcare professionals, our motivation would be to maybe let me make an example to bring that HbA1c down. I remember in one workshop, I had this lady who said, I would like to lose weight. And I thought she was doing it for health purposes. And of course, she would benefit health-wise as well. And then she was smiling. And I looked at her and I asked, why would you like to lose, after we've talked about all these risk factors? She said, you know what? Because I'm getting married in December. I want to be this beautiful, <laughs> you know? So, you know, her motivation to lose weight was different from mine as a health professional. So it's important that we identify that. L stands for listen with empathy. Listening with empathy means listening with your heart, listening more than we talk and asking open-ended questions so that we can understand people better and not judge them. The last E in the acronym is empower the patient. Of course, we're empowering them with skills and knowledge and also small chunks on what they need, finding out from them what they need. That is called also the guiding style as opposed to the old way of teaching, which was the directive style, telling people what to do, teaching them. Yeah, so this one is a guiding style. So we would apply that one in our second session with the people who attended the workshop. And they would go back and they also started their own vegetable gardens. It was an amazing project. Unfortunately, Linoia Pullen has passed on earlier this year in February. She's she's no more. Right. And um, yeah, at the moment, I'm just holding on there. We'll see what can happen in future.
I love what you shared there, Biola, that the majority, by the looks of it, of your training didn't only focus on the technical aspects of managing diabetes, but as you said, and as we say in our training as well, and you can see that you and I have been in diabetes for the same amount of time. We've followed completely separate training paths, but we end up at the same place. Once you specialize in an area and you listen to your clients and you follow the literature, you end up in the same place where it starts with us as the healthcare professional and also the person with diabetes, that we have to be comfortable with change before we can even think of instituting the technical aspects of the management of a chronic condition. So great story there. Tell us a little bit more about community healthcare workers. I see them as an extension to the diabetes specialist nurse, not a replacement for that person. What are your thoughts? Definitely. That is the extension. That is why we try our best to train as many of them as possible because they're working on the ground with the people living with diabetes. Mm. Mm. They visit their homes. And of course, there are challenges. There will always be challenges. Like, for instance, the scope of practice. Mm-hmm. Now, here's a person with diabetes. They do home blood monitoring. But community healthcare worker, the scope of practice doesn't really allow them to do a finger prick. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah. So, so those are some of the challenges. But at least, yeah, they can overcome it. You know, it's easy. They can just say, okay, just do your blood sugar. And then they can talk over those things. So... I can talk about Western Cape with the community healthcare workers. They're working, I can say they are like kind of adopted by the Department of Health in the Western Cape. So they have a budget for them to, right. know, to pay their salaries. Some of the NPOs are funded by overseas countries to run this project. There's a lot of them in the communities that are doing amazing, amazing work. But of course, they need training so that we can all say the same language to the patients and give the correct information. So for instance, in the Western Cape, we've been asked to train them on diabetic food screening. And there's another one coming in the Eastern Cape project that I'll be going next month to train, again, community health care workers and some professional nurses on diabetic food screening. Because this person who's doing this project is in the OR Tambo district. They also be like trying to reduce these amputations due to diabetes because it is possible. So there's a whole lot happening on the ground, but it is not enough. It is not not enough. So there's a lot of people wanting to do good things down there. And the government, they are trying to to sponsor these and make these programs available, but we need much more than that. What is the prevalence of use of traditional healers within the rural areas where you've been working? I sort of see the diabetes specialist nurse and the community health care workers as forming essentially a bridge between, say, the doctor and person with diabetes and the traditional healer, trying to let us see each other's perspectives. Mm-hmm. There is a well-defined community role for traditional healers. Mm-hmm. How do you see them fitting into the wider diabetes care team? What role is there for them? Is there a role? Mm-hmm. I feel there is. Is maybe, but I want to hear from your perspective. <laughs> Definitely. That is why we also train them. There is a role. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, my cat, sometimes in many cases, not all, especially within the African community, more in the rural areas, perhaps, maybe than in the cities, mm-hmm. their first consultation would be a traditional healer. Diabetes is not even thought of for a child, for a teenager. Yeah. This child is sick, is in a DKA. And they're starting to have stomach cramps and vomiting. They will take this child to the traditional healer. Traditional healer, this is a child. 
They might think that this child ate poison mm -hmm. and they might give enema. In fact, it has happened. And to try and clean this person, what's going to happen? This child will be more dehydrated. Sure. If that child is not taken to hospital, that child is going to die. Mm -hmm. It may not be even a child. It can be anyone. Mm. So the role of the traditional healers is that I like to take a lot of examples from HIV and AIDS. Sure. Their programs were working because they were incorporating rather than pushing the other and saying, no, mm. you don't know anything about diabetes education. Let me make example there. If the patient believes that this holy water is going to heal them more than the ARVs, you know what the HIV AIDS nurses did? They said, yes, you can drink your water, but the pills will also help you. But drink your pills with your holy water. They won't clash. Can you see? Still accommodate that, and they were still taking the ARVs. That is one example. Those were in KZN. So in diabetes, is the same. So what we did with those traditional healers, what we trained them, of course, we trained them about all the symptoms of diabetes. And then we said, at least they can just get a urine dipstick. If they notice these symptoms, you know, that one should be accepted. Mm. A traditional can just do a urine dipstick. If they see that there are mm. four pluses of sugar in the urine, even if it's just one plus, send that patient to the clinic and say, you might have diabetes, but the clinic will confirm the diagnosis. Once the clinic has treated you, you feel better, please come back, then they can continue. And they all accepted it with ease, those traditional healers, because they knew that we were not judging them. They have a role that they play because people believe in them. So it's finding ways of working with them as a team. Obviously, we would focus on the clinical side and all the other aspects. The traditional healers might focus on the spiritual or ancestral, whatever it's called. So there is a place for everybody. Perhaps the traditional healers were the original holistic practitioner, taking into account the social environment, the spiritual, as you've alluded to, and the person-specific health needs. I'm going to say something to both of you here, because I've known both of you for many, many years, and I work exclusively in the field of diabetes. I think diabetes nurse specialists in this country are treasures. Thank you, Stan. And there aren't enough of them, and we can't get the training done sufficiently in adequate training. As Michael said, 10, 12 hours, that may teach you how to use a glucose monitor. And I think for people with diabetes, they often underestimate the immense potential of problem-solving, assistance, mentoring, coaching, support that a nurse has in that sense. Right. And that's a shout-out for nursing, because we're all going to need nursing at some point in our lives. We're getting older. We're going to probably land up in hospital. Joint replacement's a pacemaker. And very often the doctors are busy and flippant and dismissive and whatever. But the person there that's likely to hold your hand and guide you through this process and difficult times has got to be the nurse. So, you know, it's a privilege to have both of you here. Michael, I work with you day in and day out at Bulyawa. From time to time, we touch base, certainly not in Rome. <laughs> Yeah, maybe in closing, then my passion is again around communication and understanding, listening with empathy. Conrad Lawrence said, said but not heard, heard but not understood, understood but not accepted, accepted but not put into practice, put into practice but for how long? So really diabetes educators and the whole diabetic team, I think we have a whole lot ahead of us to empower and guide people living with diabetes. And they can do it on their own. They just mm. need support and love. A wonderful poem from the behaviorist Conrad Lorenz to end off on Biowa because that really highlights the journey from someone hearing something with respect to their health to doing it every single day for the rest of their lives and to highlights all the potential barriers that may come into play. Thank you for reminding us of that wonderful piece of verse again. Michael, we've interviewed a lady who was 
decades long in her diabetes diagnosis. Our guest today has been immensely involved in diabetes from the earliest days of diabetes, nurse education specialists and advocacy. The two go hand in hand. There's, there's no way about Absolutely. it. You speak about this motivational interviewing that's become more relevant in the modern mm -hmm. day. And when we look at the components of the people we interview here, there is this great passion to get diabetes care better managed in South Africa. And I say we push for that as hard as we can. Absolutely. So Bielwa, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure, as always, to see your joyful face again. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Michael and Stan. I really, it's an honor to be part of this amazing work you're doing. Thank you so much. Listeners, if you want to share comments or thoughts and reflections on this show or any of the other shows, please drop us an email on podcast at cdediabetes.coza. If you've enjoyed our show, offer us feedback, please give us a like and share widely on your own social medias so that we can grow this advocacy message. From me, have a fantastic week ahead and good health to all. Thank you. And from me too and Biola. Thank you so much. We hope that you can join us again next week. Over and out from us. We remind you that this episode has been brought to you in support of diabetes awareness and advocacy by Winford Holiday Farm in the beautiful Eastern Free State. I can personally vouch for the quality of their holiday experience. Please support our sponsor by booking your dream stay. Check out the contact details for Winford Holiday Farm in the show notes for this episode. Remember that from 10 to 24 July 2023, kids under 12 stay free. Thank you for joining us on Not Artificially Sweetened, where we aim to build bridges of insight and understanding between people with diabetes and the health professionals that facilitate their care. Anything we discuss is for your reflection, education, personal growth and entertainment only. You join this podcast at your own risk, and we are not responsible for any omissions, errors or unwanted medical outcomes. Please note the following important specific disclaimers. For people with diabetes... The health professionals on this podcast are not your personal caregivers. Always discuss any new information with your diabetes team before acting on any aspect of it. The views and opinions discussed are those of the hosts only and do not represent those of any other entity. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you encounter in this session. Anything you learn or experience here cannot substitute for personalized professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. For health professionals working in diabetes, always discuss any new information with your clinical team before acting on any aspect of it. You are personally accountable and liable for any choices made in a clinical setting according to your level of training and legal scope of practice. Any information or insights gained here must be used with your professional discretion and with the developing base of clinical evidence, local and organizational laws, regulations, guidelines and protocols. Good luck with your diabetes care missions. Till next time. And it's a wrap. Yay!